Join me tonight, if you would, in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, and we'd like to look tonight, as we kind of parcel this passage up into various subjects, trying to pick the verses out that deal with particular subjects. And tonight we'd like to look at the foundation of the city. Just to review a bit, this passage of scripture here in Revelation chapter 21 is the way God sees the church. And John was able to truly see himself and all saints like he had never seen himself before. It is a blessing to see yourself completed. It's a blessing to see yourself in perfection. It's a blessing to see yourself with redemption fully had. And that's what we see here in this passage of Scripture. The foundation of the city, we'd like to read verse 14 and then 19 and 20. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14, it says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And in verse 19, it says, And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation, jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, Calicondi, the fourth, an emerald, the fifth, Sardinox, the sixth, Sardis, Sardis, the seventh, Crystallite, the eighth, Beryl, ninth, Topaz, the tenth, Chrysophorius, and the eleventh, Jacinth, and the twelfth, Amethyst. And we'd like to look at that tonight. Now, I'm not going to explain what all of those various gems are, but I have... Uh, complete confidence in what they represent. That's what I want to go over. Complete confidence what they represent. Uh, the foundation, the word itself implies what it expresses the basis of the or the groundwork of a building. But when we come to scripture language, we find the foundation means Christ. And we're, we'd like to look at a few verses over in the Old Testament that dealt with the building of the original temple and some of the foundation that was there, but we'll do that in just a moment. The scripture language, the foundation means Christ, and he is the foundation God has laid in Zion. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. Now, like the temple of the, of the Old Testament, they, uh, uh, from historical accounts and from what the scripture has to say, they took those monstrous foundation stones and placed them on solid rock. And that's what we see as a picture found here. These beautiful stones are placed on the solid rock Christ, and they represent several things for us. But as we've heard in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'd like to read that verse again, chapter 3 and verse 11, 1 Corinthians these 12 foundations that are mentioned here do not represent 12 different things. They represent 12 different qualities of the same person. And when we study the disciples or the apostles or 
even those holy prophets of old, none of them preached differently than the others concerning Christ. They didn't preach about grace being somewhat different or mixed with works. You don't find the Old Testament prophets contradicting what was preached in the New Testament. And you don't find what the New Testament apostles and preachers were preaching was contrary to what the prophets of the Old Testament were preaching. Nobody in the Old Testament ever preached, keep the law and you'll be saved. They continuously declared depravity keeps us from keeping the law and therefore we need a substitute. In every sacrifice that was declared, depravity keeps us from holiness, therefore we need Christ. Depravity keeps us from righteousness, therefore we need Christ. We need that substitute. We need that lamb, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's who we need. And these 12 apostles and the representation found concerning the gates, the 12 tribes of Israel, which represent the church under the old economy, and the church of the new economy, Christ, uh, the church in the New Testament era, they are combined, they preached the same thing, they declared the same thing, they had the same reverence for a holy and a righteous God, they, re they preached a Lord God omnipotent reigneth, and they didn't drop that one bit. As the Apostle Paul, he could represent all of the preachers of his era, and all of the preachers of the Old Testament era, and say, I fail not to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. They weren't mamby-pamby about the subject of God. They knew that the people's eternal life was based upon honesty with the gospel. False gospel will bring forth false representatives of Christians. The gospel God will use to bring forth his born-again ones. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, we find, For other foundation can no man lay that, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now there may be some qualities about him that are represented by these various stones. The beauty of them is beyond compare. Not one of us would turn down a gift of an emerald or an amethyst. They're precious stones. And these represent the one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his qualities, in his characteristics, and in his attributes. They represent the glory of God in Christ Jesus. There's no other foundation that can be laid than this one foundation. And these 12 foundations all rest upon Christ, and they proclaim some glorious qualities about the foundation. We find that these represent the attributes, the characteristics of God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and not an inch is fudged on when it came to the qualities of these precious stones. We don't find any sand mixed in. We don't find any coal mixed in. We find precious stones and everything about the Lord Jesus Christ is precious to the saints and precious to God. Just as the church in the Song of Solomon, he is altogether lovely. And every one of those precious stones represents a quality 
about the Lord Jesus Christ, our foundation, that is secure and firm and we're foundationed on and the preachers of the Old Testament and preachers of the New Testament declared it and faithful preachers have declared it all the way down to this present time, haven't fudged on it, haven't tried to mix in some untempered mortar and make it more appealing. The appeal is wonderful once you've seen the beauty of those stones. There's no need for anything else. Turn with me, if you would, in the Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 5. In 1 Kings chapter 5, Solomon is having that beautiful temple built in, uh, in his day. His father had prepared much of the material, but it was to Solomon and to those under him that built it, and it represents Christ. There's nowhere in the Bible it tells us that after the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross that we're to spend time worshiping at that physical temple. In fact, God demonstrated, I'm through with the worship here by tearing open that heavy, heavy veil from top to bottom. He tore it open. He says, there's no more business going on here. This is a picture. Now we have reality. This is a type. Now we have the true. This is a shadow. Now we have the person that is the maker of the shadow, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, when he gave his all and he said it's finished, the veil of the temple is rent in twain and never again was there going to be a service there that God would have a thing to do with. Now a lot of the Jews went back, sewed it up according to Josephus, went on with their temple service and so forth. And finally, we find that God said, A.D. 70, this is enough. We're not going to have any more of those services. And never in the scriptures do we find that that temple will ever be rebuilt. The building of the temple now is the church. It's a spiritual building. It's a spiritual house made up of spiritual stones, lively stones, foundationed on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 17, in writing about that great temple, before they could build the walls, they laid the foundation. And it tells us about these, these great, majestic, gargantuous stones that were used there. 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 17, it says, And the king commanded... And they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. And Solomon's builders did hew them, and the stone uh, squares, so they prepared timber and stones to build the house. There in verse 17, they were great, they brought great stones, costly stones, and hewed the stones to lay the foundation. Now, these stones... There wasn't a sound of a hammer or a saw on the site. It was all taken care of beforehand. And it just tells us how wonderful this salvation is in Christ Jesus and what glory has all was taken care of before the foundation of the world. It's not us participating now. It's us viewing and getting to view the glory that is in Christ. In 1 Kings chapter 7, and verse 10, we read this about this building of that temple. That temple was 
dismantled and hauled off and and destroyed and everything else. And it's just uh, the temple has always been in the building. By that I mean it's always being built. Since Abel's day, the temple has been building. The spiritual temple has been in the building. God has been building it up. And when the last stone is placed in it, the temple will be complete and there will be no need for any more time. The temple will be complete and eternity will begin for the saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says here, The foundation was of costly stones, even great stones, stones of ten cubits and stones of eight cubits. These are huge. They represent a great God. They represent qualities of a great God. This is no small thing that's going on. It tells us a little bit about the greatness of God as the temple is being built. The foundation is great. The glory of it, it's costly. And these stones that are brought out in, in Revelation chapter 21, they're costly stones. They are valuable, and they're valuable to the church. They're valuable to the gospel. They're valuable to hope. They're valuable to security. They're valuable to our life and our eternal life. They are of immense value, and it is incumbent upon us to have them, and nobody that ever has them will give them up. They become ours. All right? In Isaiah... Chapter 28. Would you turn there with me? Isaiah chapter 8. Now there's, there's a lot of attributes that can be mentioned. But I'm going to mention 12 tonight. Because there's 12 foundations. They have, there's a beauty about them. There's an endurability about them. There's a, uh, it, it beats sandstone. When I met Nancy 41 odd years ago, there was the uh, uh, Cape Kaiwanda stuck out there in that ocean. And I was over there not long ago, and it's a different Cape. The constant pressure and washing of that Pacific Ocean against that sandstone, eventually it's going to wash that Cape away. It's just sandstone. That's not the kind of stone that we're using here, that God's using. This is durable. This is long-lasting. This is of hope. This is a rock that fadeth not away. This is a hope that God has given to his people. All right, Isaiah chapter 28. And we find the Lord Jesus mentioned this in his own ministry. Isaiah chapter 28, as we think of these foundations, the foundation is one. The 12 represent the same thing. Everybody is going to preach the same thing about the Lord Jesus Christ that is God called and God produced. They're not going to have various things about Christ. One's not going to say, well, he's sovereign in this issue, but he's not over here. One's not going to say, well, he tries to get things done. Another one's not going to be saying, well, when he said it's finished, he didn't mean that completely. God's preachers, God's saints are going to hold tenaciously to the fact of what the Bible says about God. 
He is the sovereign king. And when he said it's finished, it was. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, demonstrating the fact that it is finished and every sin was paid for for every one of the people that he died for. Tenaciously hanging on to that because that's the hope of the church that he accomplished his work. And not only not hope, I hope he got it done. It's a it's a taken to the bank and deposited deal. It's there for draft. It's there for us to use. All right. I, I intend to read this. Isaiah 28, 16. It says here, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a, for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. This is God laying it down. That's the foundation. And that's why it says, no other foundation can men lay. He's already laid it. And all the preciousness of this stone and all the preciousness that is there, God has given us the preciousness about it. It's not ours to g gather in the precious stones. They're already there. And what are some of them? Well, we could find many definitions of these precious stones. But one of them that is special to the church, how precious this is, that God himself is self-existent. Now, I can't, I can't even imagine that. I know the word, and I know God depends on nobody for anything. But I am dependent upon people for everything. I'm dependent upon people, and I'm dependent upon God. But when it comes to God, the preciousness to the church is he is himself. I am that I am. What a precious foundation stone to have that God, as he spoke to Moses, as he spoke to Israel, as he had spoken to the church, I am my own. I depend on nobody for glory. I was in my glory before I created the heavens and the earth. I'm existent in myself. I am, I am that I am. And when Jesus said those words, we find I am the door. I am one with God. He just said, I am. Ever present, self-existent. Nobody needs to be bowing to me to, for me to get glory. Another wonderful characteristic of these foundation stones that the church is so dependent upon is that God does not change. He's immutable. What precious stone is that? Amethyst, emerald, whatever you want to call it, is so precious to the church that God has revealed to his people and it is intended to be preached that God does not change. Doesn't change his mind, doesn't change his views, doesn't change it. He doesn't change. If we change, we're either going to change for the better or for the worse. God does not change because he is 100%, 100% all the time. So he doesn't have to change up or down. He doesn't have to get better or turn out to be worse. I change not, therefore ye children are not consumed. We're dependent upon that. That's a precious, 
precious foundation emerald for us and we can go to the bank with it he is self-existent he doesn't depend on anybody or anything for anything and he doesn't change our faith is fastened the faith that he gives is fastened it doesn't change he's not going to change his mind about us he's not going to change his view about us not going to change his love it's just amazing in the last three days I've been subbing for Nancy. She's been home with Jennifer, and I've had the opportunity of going in there. Some days, out of those three, there's a class or two. Uh, one day I love them, and the next day I wish I was somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know whether it's what they eat or not. <laughs> I just don't know. Or the phase of the moon. I don't know. But I'm thankful that God is not like that, that he is un changeable he is immutable immutable and he's immutable in his love toward us it will not change we've got people believing that when they do good god loves them more and when they do bad god loves them less that is not true there's something about god another characteristic an attribute of god, about god that is beyond my ability he is 100% truth that's one of those stones he's the foundation and all of these things declare the glory about the foundation they're, they're all speaking of the same person and every representative that God has ever called will speak the same thing about this one person. There will not be any conflict. When they sit down, they will be speaking about the same Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. I was reading to Mike and Yvonne, and I found a book in my library. I don't know where I found it. In 1917, they were holding the General Assembly of Baptist Churches in Oregon here in the Dalles. First Baptist Church. And right at the beginning of all this stuff, all these preachers are here and all these people are here in convention. And one of the things that was brought out is the need for the Baptist churches to be more involved in social issues. And I thought, my goodness, 1917, we're, we're leaving the first rudiments. <laughs> now, it was long before that that it happened but to get involved in social issues the only thing that will ever change man and his social views is the gospel take it to the bank that's the only thing we can get people to act different but they'll never be different towards God until they're regenerated and really down deep in their heart they want to do the same thing that they used to do we've just confined them a little bit Boy, sometime that grandson of ours just throws a wall-eyed fit. The other day, I wanted him to do something. He didn't want to do it. He just flopped down on the floor, and he's kicking and flailing. I said, okay, <laughs> poured water on him. <clears throat> What's going on, Grandpa? <laughs> didn't change his heart, but stopped him from going through that. Anyway. Another thing about God that I find here in this wonderful foundation is that he has perfect 
love. I can't imagine perfect love, but he has it. Now, someday I'll understand it, but he had perfect love from eternity past. Perfect love for a people that were unlovable. Perfect love for a people that were, well, they're sheep and they smelled. They had to be, they, they just, he had to take control, but he had perfect love for them. He had perfect love from eternity for the church. They were the halt and the maimed and the blind and all of this. They, they're just nothing about them. And that's why God's choosing before the world began is so important. There's nothing about this whole flock of people that God had that would cause him to move towards them because they're thumbing their nose at him. They're walking away from him. And so his perfect love. And we find this exemplified at the cross. This one. He's perfectly holy. We are so dependent upon the holiness of God. There's not even. And Jesus Christ never had this problem. He never had the problem of his own sin. Now, he dealt with ours because he had none of his own. He knew no sin. He was perfectly holy. The Godhead is in perfect oneness with itself. There's no division among it. The Lord Jesus Christ had no thought. It wasn't even a thought of sin that he had. He was perfectly holy. And the church depends on his perfect holiness. And as a result of his perfect love and as a result of his perfect holiness and the result of his perfect righteousness, he can give it to us and we'll have what he has. That's the only way we'll get holy is by his holiness, his oneness. And the only way we'll get love is by his love. We love him because he first loved us. And it's a central part. It's a very major part. It's a, one of the ten cubits stones. Ten cubits. That's a hunk of rock. Immovable. Unchangeable. Fadeth not away. Rep that's what it's representing. All of these have to do with almost the same thing. They're just looking at things a little bit different. But there's something about God that we depend on to the core that I still can't imagine. I just can't put it into words. His eternality. He has been eternal forever. <laughs> the church depends on that. We depend on that. His eternality. That he is the eternal God of heaven. And Jesus Christ did not become the Son of God. He has forever been the Son of God. He didn't rise to a higher standard or drop to a lower standard. He has always been. And we put it this way. He's not just the Son of God. He is God the Son. Eternally. The eternal Father. The eternal Son. And the eternal Holy Spirit without beginning of days or end of life, ever. We are so trapped in time. 
Why do we wear these? <laughs> Where did they come from? Because we're so trapped with time. We've got to be there. We make an appointment. We've got to be there. Well, it's important to be there. But we're trapped with time. God said it in the beginning. He said we're trapped in time. What? We're going to have evening, and we're going to have the day, and we're going to have night. <laughs> and we're going to have 24 hours of it. But he is not trapped. We are so dependent upon his eternality from end to end. He had every thought was determined before the world began. And it will be carried out just like that. We have another stone, beautiful, precious stone. Whatever name you want to look there for, this fits it. Again, these are words about God, characteristics about God, um, things about God that's inexplainable, but they're true and the church depends on it. And this one is, he is everywhere at the same instant. Now, there are times I'd like to be in two places at once. <laughs> but he is omnipresent. And the church depends on that. The gospel is preached way down there in, in uh, New Guinea. And God has honored the gospel down there in Mexico. God has honored it, just like he does where it's being preached, wherever it's being preached. He has the entire, his entire creation. He is there at the instant moment. I, we are so dependent upon being in one place at one time, trying to get to the second place as quickly as we possibly can, and yet this precious stone for the church is, I am omnipresent. I know your heart where you are, and I know the hearts of all my people wherever they are. And that just moves us into the omniscient. He has all knowledge, and we are dependent upon that. He is the foundation, and all of these foundation stones are based upon his character, his attributes, and we depend on it. This city is built on this. It's not a small thing. These are gargantuous truths about God. If he fails in any of these areas, he is not the God of the Bible, and we must seek another. But since the Bible declares this about God and about his city, his church is a resemblance of him, foundation upon Christ and all of his characteristics and attributes. And it is then and then only that we can go in and out and find pasture, that we have been given faith in this God. And without doubt, now we may say, I don't understand it. I don't understand any of these words when it comes to God. I'm human and I'm looking at him through human eyes. But when it comes to God, he is in every place all the time. And he also knows everything and every thought and every intent of the heart all the time without exception. And he doesn't take off the Sabbath. <laughs> He's always, he knows our frailty. We have a high priest who knows our frailty. We have not a high priest who has not been touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in all ways was tempted as we are tempted, yet without sin. And we couldn't do without this, his omnipotence. And under that, we could just go, <clears throat> his sovereignty, his authority, 
his kingship, his glory. Oh, to have a foundation without a God that's omnipotent, it's going to fail. That's building it upon the sand. That's building the city on the sand. If we don't have this stone, it's going to fall in. This is so bad. This is that 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. Now people can say, how'd they move that? That's not the issue. The issue is what's it represent? It represents the glory of God, his omnipotence. He has all power and all authority. He is the Lord God Almighty. And the church from the very beginning has been dependent upon this very thing. And it's disturbing how many people want to do without this very most valuable part of the foundation of the church. This most valuable part of God. Because the, if he is not omnipotent, the rest of them are meaningless. How could he be all loving if he's not omnipotent? How could he be all merciful if he's not omnipotent? How could he be all, all holy if he's not omnipotent? This one is so valuable. And every one that God ever saves, this he convinces them in their new heart. God gives us a new heart, and it's based upon these qualities about God Almighty. Another one that we find out of those 12 is his faithfulness. He's never been unfaithful. He's always been 100% faithful to all his children all of the time. He's faithful to go out and find them. He's faithful to make sure that the gospel is preached to them. He's faithful to keep them. He's faithful to speak to them, to comfort them. He is all faithful. And the mercy of God, I can't imagine the mercy of God. I know what it means. And I'm thankful God is all merciful. But mercy is God withholding what we deserved. And every part of that city is there because of his mercy. He withheld from me what I deserved. He gave it to Christ. His grace, he gave to me what I did not deserve. And that's because of Christ. And then his righteousness. We are so dependent upon the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I realize that there are many other attributes and characteristics of God that could be put in here. But how valuable these are to the church. How glorious. They're an emerald. They're a sapphire. They're a diamond. They're an amethyst. They are valuable, and we put them in lodgment in our heart and keep them and, and look to them and thank God Almighty for them. There was a man that's spoken of. The Lord Jesus Christ brought up this issue. He said that uh, he went down to the rock and placed his house on the rock, on the rock. The other man put it on the sand. Well, if we don't have these foundations, we're just building on sand. And when things come along, life comes along, regular life comes along, it will not stand. That built on the rock will stand. Look to me, uh, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. As we think about these 12 foundations of the apostles they represent, they picture the gospel preached by all people and they all agree. 
We don't have different gospels. Uh, we mentioned this some time ago, maybe it was last week, I don't know, about the uh, 12 preaching on the day of Pentecost. Only one message recorded. That was Peter's message. But the rest of the 11 are also preaching that day. And they're preaching to another group of language people. And they all concluded, we do all hear the wonderful works of God in our tongue, our language. So it wasn't 12 different messages going on there, trying to get 12 different viewpoints spread to different people. It was one message preached by those 12, and that's the way this foundation is. It's the foundation is Christ. And we see other so many characteristics and attributes that are precious to us that are on that foundation of the Lord Jesus. And, and the church is built on this. And if we're not built on this, we're built on the sand. And that's going to be a terrible place. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Let's read that. Ephesians 2, 20. As the Apostle Paul was a secretary to write to these saints... He said, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner. But the message of the apostles and prophets was all the same. Jesus Christ is the foundation. No another. No, law isn't. Moses isn't. Levi isn't. Solomon isn't. Joshua isn't. These are not the guys that we want to have our foundation on. That's one of the issues that Mike's been bringing out there in the Bible class. There were people in that church at Corinth that had other foundations. I like that guy. Well, you better be in love with Christ. That's going to change some of that attitude. All right, and 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, these glorious stones, beautiful stones, foundation these stones represent the glory of God in Christ Jesus, attributes, characteristics about him. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, talks about this foundation that we read over there in the book of Revelation. And here it says in Ephesians, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal the Lord knoweth them that are his old Solomon could be there in Jerusalem and he could talk to his people under him and they could say well over there all of that material is yours all of it belongs to you and the word of the Lord says all that material, wherever it is, throughout the world, he knows where it all is, and it will all come in to make up this city. Every stone will be brought in, every living stone. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is the foundation. And that word foundation is the same word that we find over there in the book of Revelation. And then in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. You turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 10. Verse 
this is about Abraham, and it's by faith, Abraham. Verse 8, verse 9, a sojourn. Verse 10, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What did he look for? Same thing John saw. That angel says, come, I'll show you the lamb's, bri the lamb's wife, the bride. Here's a description of it. Abraham sought it. Abraham was blessed with this. And it had these foundations, these precious foundations. And then in closing, turn with me back to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Once again, this foundation. Foundation, if we're just looking at it as a building, that's the part that goes attaches to the ground and if it's good the building will be good if it's not time will tell I remember Greg Elmquist up here talking about the church building down there that was built some years ago and they shorted on the cement for the mortar And it was falling down. That's one place you really don't want to short. You know, don't have a three-tier chandelier. <laughs> if you're going to short someplace, short someplace it's going to show. But to short on the cement for the mortar that holds the rocks together, that's not the place to do it. And now they're witnesses of it. All right, Luke chapter 6. And verse 48, Luke chapter 6, verse 48, the Lord Jesus mentions this. He says, uh, He that heareth my sayings, verse 47, and doeth them, I'll liken, uh, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. There it is. And when the flood arose, and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. The foundation was on a rock. These represent the wonderful, gracious qualities about the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the things that Paul said, I shall not to declare unto you the whole counsel of God, we're not just going to spend our time talking about the love of God. We're going to talk about his immutability. We're not just going to spend our time speaking about the mercy of God. We're going to preach on his omnipotence, his sovereignty. We're going to talk about his eternality. And before the world began, he had a purpose. We're not going to just spend those things that are real palatable. We're going to spend our time on preaching the whole council as it's laid out in the word of God because that's the foundation for the church. All of these beautiful stones that were gathered together representing the characteristics and attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ, him being the foundation stone. We're not looking at different Christ. We're looking at the same Christ and his beauty as those or as the bride said in the Song of Solomon, I stand back 
and look at this foundation all the way around and see all these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stones that were put there. Guess what? He is all together lovely. No, I don't want to, doesn't matter on which side you're going to be. You know, go around the back of certain houses, you find out where they were cheap. <laughs> well, this building, no expense was spared. It was the blood of Christ. <laughs>